0: Judas Priest one week, Metallica the next week, man, I feel like Action Church is back. We're in the last week of a series that we've been calling The Dash, and the premise of the series is real, real simple. Sandra, I don't know if it's possible that you can give me a little more light. I don't know if you know how to work that good enough or not. I can't read anything, and if I can't read anything, then I'm just going to free go with it, and we might be here for like three hours. (laughs) premise of the series is real simple. Between the day you were born and the day you die, on your tombstone will be a dash. And that dash will signify everything that you are and everything that you've done and everything that you've accomplished, good, bad, and ugly. You are your dash. So we've been talking about how do we maximize our dash? How do we we make our dash the greatest dash that it can be, because the reality is this. You need to understand something today. God created you for greatness. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't need do-overs. God doesn't make oops. God's not surprised. God created you for a purpose God created you with a plan in mind, and God created you to do great things. But sadly, most people will come to the end of their life never having lived out their dash. Most people will come to the end of their life having never lived out their purpose. Most people will come to the end of their life having never lived out their calling. We don't realize how precious this thing called life is. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised today. The Bible says this. You know, in all my times of reading the Bible, it's weird. I've never seen this scripture. I'm sure I've read it a hundred times. I've read the Bible through several times, but it's never jumped out at me. It's such a powerful scripture, especially kind of for my philosophy in life. But I saw this this week, and it jumped out to me. Psalms 39, verse 4. David said, show me, Lord, my life's end... And the number of my days, let me know how fleeting my life is. He said, show me, Lord, just remind me how short my life is. Remind me, Lord, how how fleeting my days are. He said, you've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of years is as nothing before you. He says, you've made my days just just merely nothing. The span of my years is nothing. In the context of you, God, in the context of eternity, my time on this earth is nothing. It's a humbling verse to me. Human existence is but a breath. (laughs) I actually changed my prayers up a little after reading that this week. I, I prayed that God would continually remind me that my life is nothing in the grand scheme of his plans. And therefore, I want him to remind me to live each and every moment to the fullest. Life is too short for BS. Life is too short for grudges. Life is too short for unforgiveness. Life is too short for fighting with people. Life is too short to spend your entire life trying to obtain possessions and obtain money to get things, to impress people. Life is made to make an impact. And you have one shot at this thing called life. There are zero do-overs in this life. Once your last breath is taken, you stand before God and you don't get to come back again. And yet we spend our life chasing things that don't matter. We spend our lives in jobs that we hate, paying for things that we don't use, To impress people that we don't even like, if we were to be honest. Life is precious. And because our lives are so brief, that's why it's so important to live out the dash. But to make the most of your dash, you need to understand something today. You and you only are responsible for your dash. Nobody can force you to live out your dash. Nobody can make you live out your dash. You have to take the steps needed to live out your dash. But the reality is, is most of us don't have the balls to do it. We've become comfortable in our discomfort. We've accepted what society says is normal, and that's what we do. It's normal nowadays to be up to our ears in debt. It's normal nowadays, instead of manning up and dealing with our problems, to drink our problems away. It's normal today, instead of fighting for what's important, to just bell on that. What's normal today isn't working, and if it was working, we wouldn't be the way we are today. It's time we stop being normal and maybe start being a little weird. If COVID has taught you anything, it's that normal wasn't working. Everybody, I see everybody getting all mad on Facebook. Everybody not be a new normal. I pray to God there's a new normal. Now, by new normal, I don't mean what they mean. But I pray that it's a wake-up call to people. It's been a wake-up call to me. In so many areas of my life, people have been like, do you miss this? And I, I do miss a lot of things. But you know what I don't miss is the stress over those things, the anxiety over those things, the tension over those things. I've had more time in my family in the last two months than I've probably had the last six years. An amazing thing happened. I actually enjoyed it. I didn't kill them. They didn't kill me. They seem to dig me being around. It's funny when your priorities are forced to be changed what we do. But we've bought into a lie of society really because at the end of the day we're weak-minded. That's just my new philosophy. You thought I didn't sugarcoat things before. I'm really not going to sugarcoat things now. We're weak-minded people. Chase the dollar, chase the drink, ch- chase the next high, chase the next piece of ass, whatever it is. We're just weak-minded people. Instead of having the discipline to live the life we were created for. I've actually got to the point in my life during this time where I'm probably even going to be more antisocial than I was before. Because I'm done being around people with a loser mindset who just want to be normal. I'm done having the same conversations with the same people who are never going to change because they really, at the end of the day, don't have what it takes to change. They'd rather wallow in their self pity, wallow in their misery, and feel sorry for themselves instead of taking their life by the hands and making the most out of it. We need some people who want to live the dash. Where's Ken at today with that blue mohawk? I saw him today. Ken, stand up. Ken, a year ago they gave you how long to live? About six months. Ken, did it change your priorities at all in those six months? A little bit? bit? Things that were important before weren't necessarily so important, were they? Thank you, Ken. You can sit down. I don't know how I feel about the blue mohawk, but hey, here's the deal. When the doctors give you six months to live... And you've lived a year, you could paint your hair any color that you want to paint it. Here's what's the shame. It takes the doctors telling us we have six months to live to get to that mindset. It takes the doctors telling us, man, you got 30 days or 40 days or you got a year. Or it takes us on the verge of losing everything before we wake up and we get our priorities right and we waste every single day. Instead of capitalizing on the dash. But the ball's in our court. I can preach it. I can sing it. I can spray it. I can pray it. I can do whatever it is. At the end of the day, you gotta wanna make the most of your life. But life didn't go the way you wanted it. Wham. You had it all mapped out. Wham. I'm not being in, insensitive today. I'm just saying welcome to life. You want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Life gets full of curveballs. You can know the curveballs coming. I saw a quote yesterday. Anybody remember Greg Maddox? You don't realize how bad to the bone of a pitcher Greg Maddox was. Couldn't throw the ball over 90 miles per hour. And I saw a quote, and he said, here's the deal. I can't throw the ball very fast, but here's what I'm going to do. Every time I'm going to throw to you an 86-mile-per-hour sinker ball. He said, that's what I'm going to throw. He's telling you what he's going to do. And he says, and you ain't going to hit it. That's goat stuff right there. God could look at you and say, here's what I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Life's going to be full of obstacles and trials. And by the way, he does because he says in this life you'll have trials and tribulations. In this life you'll have heartache. He did tell you what's coming. And even when you know what's coming, there's nothing you can do to avoid it. Sometimes life just takes a bad turn. But what are you going to do with the dash? Are you going to be defined by that? Or are you going to be refined by that? Are you going to allow it to mold you in? to the person that God intends you to be. It's your choice. You've got to make some decisions. The first week we talked about, you've got to live passionately. God, life is awesome. Life is awesome. You've got to love completely. You cannot live out your dash when you have hate. You've got to love, Amen. even those that are unlovable. I didn't say you had to like But you got to love. you got to learn from your past. You know the best thing about your mess-ups? Is you can learn from them. You can't change them. You can't go back in time. But you can learn from them. We talked about last week, we're going to leverage our influence. We're going to talk about the way we impact people as we leverage those around us. People don't care what you know, do they know you care? Today, I want to close it out, and I'm going to tell you the last step I believe in how to live a life of purpose. If you're going to live a life that is fulfilling, a life that makes the most of your dash, the one thing that will carry on after your time on earth is done is we're going to leave a godly legacy. When your time here on earth is done... All that will be left is your legacy and you will have a legacy and that legacy will be a good legacy or it will be a bad legacy. It will be a legacy of change or it will be a a, a legacy of drama. It will be a legacy of impacting people or it will be a legacy of ripping off people. It will be a legacy of making the most and passing that down to the next generation or it will be a legacy of living scared and passing that down to the next generation. We're going to leave a godly legacy What would generations to come say about you based on the life that you lived? What would they say if your day on the last day on earth was today? What would they say about you? Everybody makes an impact. Take your parents, for example. I could ask everybody here, hey, tell me about your dad. No matter what your relationship with your dad is, they left a legacy to you. Some of you would immediately go into how amazing your dad was, how your dad taught you certain things, and how your dad made sure that you knew you were loved, and he was there for you, and he walked with you, and he molded you, and he trained you up, and you would talk glowingly about your dad. Some of you would have a less, kind of more of a neutral stance. He was a good man. He worked hard. He provided. We didn't always see eye to eye. But but even though he never told me he loved me, I, I knew he loved me. Some of you would say, my dad was a horrible person. He walked out on us. He was a drunk. He was an abuser. He never did anything. He never provided three different answers, but all a legacy that was passed down to you. So we're not just going to leave a legacy today to make the most of our dash. We're going to leave a godly legacy. I have four kids, two boys, two girls. Luke is the youngest. He's eight years old. One day I remember I was talking to Luke and I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be like you, daddy. And immediately I was like, yeah, that's right, he does. Preacher. Preacher. Preaching the word of God, going out and bringing people that normally wouldn't do church or bring church. Man, someone wants to be like me. He said, "Yeah, I'm going to marry Steen, and I'm going to own a wrestling promotion. (laughs) A legacy. Wants to marry his stepmom. He must be from Alabama. (laughs) I remember when he told me that. I smiled because I thought, man, he's got great taste in women." I'm glad that he thinks what I do for a living is awesome. I remember being like, that's awesome. And I went to hug him, and he, instead of hugging me, he kicked me in the testicles and <laughs> ran off. A legacy. A godly legacy. What we need to realize today is everything that you do and every action that you take leaves a legacy. Does it leave a godly legacy, or does it leave a bad legacy? If we're going to leave a godly legacy and make the most of our dash, there's some things that we have to do along the way. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to say the words that God wants us to say. I want you to meditate on that for a minute. There's so much power in that sentence. We're going to say the words that God wants us to say. You know the biggest lie we teach our children? Cute little nursery rhyme. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Oh, that's a lie from the pits of hell. Words are powerful. Words shape us. Words change us. Words that are spoken to us determine what we believe about ourselves. There's power in the tongue. The Bible says this in Proverbs 18, 28. The tongue has the power of life and death. The power... To build somebody up or to tear somebody down? The power to pull somebody out of the muck and mire or the power to send them over the edge? The words that we speak literally build up or they tear people down. Words can change someone's entire day. But what we have a tendency to do as human beings Especially in this day and time as we specialize in the negative and we avoid the positive. In order to leave a godly legacy, we're going to pour truth into those around us. We'll say to those that we love, the next generation, the things that are important to be said because most people don't. As a pastor, I I count it an honor. I joke around that I hate to go to hospital visits or I hate to do funerals. But actually, it's one of the the things that I count as the biggest honor in my life is to go to people to know that, man, when they're sick and they don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, they want their pastor there. They want someone to bring comfort and they want someone to pray for them. It's an honor to do that. Yet I can't tell you how many times I went to the hospital And I've showed up to see somebody and a family member pulls me off to the side and this is what they'll tell me. Will you make sure that they know that I love them? Will you make sure that they know I forgive them? Will you make sure that they know that I'm here for them? And every time they do that, I always wonder to myself, why can't you tell them that yourself? Why do you need me to do that? Because we're afraid to speak the words. Will you put that main point back up, please, Xander? We're scared to say the words that God wants us to say. I pray to God that if you ever find yourself in that situation, you swallow your pride, you swallow your, I'm just a person of few words. Cool. Let your few words be godly words that build up. A great example of this is found in the Old Testament when Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is imparting wisdom to his son. The whole book of Proverbs is Solomon talking to his son, saying, Hey, let me give you some advice. Boom, 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 boom. It's just practical advice. He talks about how to raise children. He talks about business. He talks about how to handle your finances. He talks about how to deal with women. I mean, he's just bam! And when the wisest man in the world is slinging truth on you, you better listen. But look what he says in verse twenty: "My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words." He says, "I'm about to sling some truth on you. I'm about to sling some knowledge on you, son. Son, I, I want you to focus." and listen to me for a minute. I want you to listen closely to my... Look look what he goes on to say. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. Keep what? The words. Son, I'm 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 about to spring some truth on you. Don't let this truth out of your sight. Keep them in your heart. For they are life to those who find them. And help to one's whole body. He says, the words I'm about to sling on you, man, they're life, if you can grasp the principles of them. They'll bring health to you. Above all else, he says, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. He he said, son, I don't ask much of you, but I want you to listen to this. He said, "I'm I'm about to express love to you, wisdom to you, encouragement to you. And that's so vital because we live in a day and time where so many people don't do that. I heard a counselor recently say that the most common thing as they've talked about different people is they'll deal with different people no matter what the issue is, no matter if they're male or female, no matter if it's a marriage issue, a financial issue, an addiction issue, no matter an insecurity issue, an anxiety issue, a suicidal issue, no matter what the issue is, She said the one common denominator that they've seen is this. She says, I'll always ask them, Do you believe your dad was proud of you? And almost 100% of them will either say, I don't know, or I'm not sure. No matter what the issue. Was your dad proud of you? I don't know, or I'm not sure. That we as parents would not speak truth into our children is something I don't understand. I met with someone the other day who was having trouble connecting with his son. His son's awesome. I was messaging with this person. And I asked the guy, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, does your son know you love him? Something real simple. He responded, of course he does. I asked, how? How does your son know? You love him. He just knows. My dad, I didn't didn't elaborate, I didn't push. This is what the response is. He just knows. My dad never told me he loved me. I don't need to tell him I love him. What this man doesn't realize, this prideful man who wants to connect with his son, is that his son is strung out on heroin. And one time when I was talking to his son, I asked him if his relationship with his dad was good or not. And his words were, I'm a failure to my dad and a disgrace to him. Perception is reality even if the reality's false. To that kid, he was a failure to his dad. To the dad, his son knew. How would his son know if he's never willing to tell him? It'll be a cold day in hell before one of my children have to wonder if I'm proud of them. They won't have to wonder because I will tell them I'm proud of them. I won't tell them. I do tell them. There's nothing one of my children could ever do and come to me that would not let me say to them, I love you. I might not agree with every decision that they make. I might not agree with every decision that they do. I might not agree with with the direction they head in life. But no matter what, they're going to know, I love you because I'm going to say the words that need to be said. It'll be a cold day in hell before one of my daughters has to go hook up with some scumbag to hear the words, I love you because I didn't give them to her. But you be prideful. You were just made a certain way and you were raised a certain way. You are raised a certain way and you can't stand your dad. But you continue to operate the same way. Or you leave a godly legacy. I want my kids to know I'm their biggest fan. I'm their biggest cheerleader. It's tragic. I mean, even God understood this principle. I, I love in Matthew 3 when Jesus is being baptized. At this time, Jesus... Is not really known. He hasn't went into public ministry yet. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't turned water into wine. He hasn't raised anybody from the dead yet. He hasn't made the blind to see. He hasn't drawn thousands of people to hear his teaching. He just goes to be baptized by John the Baptist. And God opens up heaven and says, This is my son, and who I'm well pleased. He wanted Jesus to know, I love you. Our goal as a dad, as a husband, as a person, as a mother, as a, as a wife, ought to not let me any good thought go unspoken. There's power in words. I grew up with a dad who constantly let me know he was proud of me, constantly told me how much he loved me. Here's the thing. I couldn't have been any different from my dad. My dad was a star quarterback in high school got drafted to play minor league baseball. He was super jock athlete. I could care less about sports growing up. I wanted to smoke weed and listen to rock and roll music and do what I wanted to do. And yet my dad always found an interest in what I was doing because he wanted him, me to know he loved me. I can't tell you how many baseball card conventions my dad took me to when he could have cared less about Baseball cards. Can't tell you how many comic book conventions my dad took me to because I was into comic books for a while. I can't tell you how many concerts my dad took me to that he had zero interest in because he wanted me to know he loved me and he always told me, I love you and I'm proud. You know that I'm 44 years old and my dad still texts me out of the clear window and says, hey, just want you to know I love you. Hey, I just want you to know I'm proud of you. There's me and my dad have not always seen eye to eye. Me and my dad actually butt heads a lot, but I've never doubted whether or not he loves me, because he was man enough to speak the words to me. He didn't hope that I'd pick up on his actions. I'd pick up on his deeds. Ladies, your husband wants to hear how you feel about him. Man, your wife wants to, hey, your friends want to hear how you feel about them. There's power in speaking words, and the words leave a legacy. I have friends of mine that are pursuing their dreams, and I try to make it a point on a continual basis. Hey, man, go get it today. Excited for you. I've got friends that are chasing dreams, and I don't even think they can make their dreams happen. But I make sure they... Hear encouragement from me all the time. There's power and encouragement. You know why people need encouragement? Because the most time all they get is discouragement. Especially men as they're trying to chase their dreams. Most time, the most negative person in their life about that is their wife. Yeah. It is. I'm not trying to dog. Women want stability. I understand that. So when the husband talks about I'm going to quit my job and go out and do this and blah blah blah, I don't know how money's gonna come in. Uh, okay. <laughs> It's the one benefit I have with Christine. I've never had a stable job. She married into this craziness. She don't know anything different. I remember when Christine and I first got together because her ex-husband had, had a normal job. And she'd be like, what'd you do today? And I said, well, I hung out with so-and-so and went to lunch with this person. And, and um, man, I was on Facebook. And she said, oh, you didn't work? Well, yeah, it worked. That was work to me. She didn't get it. now she gets it. Oh, okay, you worked. And why? Because the bills have got paid. She understands it. Now she's my biggest cheerleader in those things. There's power in words. Power in words. Don't wait to tell someone you love them. You might not be promised tomorrow. I was going to connect with them. For two and a half years, Christine kept saying, you need to go see your grandmother. I'll get around to it. You need to call your grandmother. Nope. You get on the phone with my grandmother. It's three and four hours. I ain't getting on the phone with her. And then the Thursday before she died on a Saturday, Wednesday night, before she died, I said, I think I'm going to see my grandmother tomorrow. She said, huh? I said, yeah, I think I'm going to see my grandmother. She rearranged the whole day to make sure she could be home with the kid. Here and didn't. I went and saw my grandmother sit and talk to her for 30, 40 minutes, let her know I loved her. But just, I don't know why. She died 48 hours later. I am so thankful that I took that time and opportunity. I've told Christine numerous times. I said, man, I'm so glad I woke up that day and went and saw my grandmother. Now, I told her I loved her over the years, but I mean, I, to be able to tell her one last time was important. There's power in words. The words that we speak into people shape their lives. I am convinced that most people are failures and what we deem losers in life because they've been told they're failures and losers their whole life. They've never had anybody believe in them. they never had anybody say, man, you can accomplish this, that you were created for greatness. Most of the time that we do that, though, is because we're miserable and we're losers and we have, we're insecure and so we like to pass it on because misery loves company. We think it's cool or tough to tear things down Especially dudes, man. Like, man, guys are just, we're guys. We have this false sense of what masculinity is. Guys ought to be encouraging guys more than ever. Women ought to be, like, women, so petty, they want to tear each other down. Build each other up. Y'all ought to be each other's biggest cheerleaders. Scratch that. We ought to all be each other's biggest cheerleaders. And so much comes from that, from just our words. We have no problem saying the words we disagree with. I've got friends in my life that I disagree with some issues with them. And I can fight with them all day long speaking those words. Or I can call them and talk about the things we agree on. Did you hear this latest album? Hey, man, do you see what so-and-so did? Hey, man, what about... The fights of the night, you see that? Things that we we have in common. Speak the godly words. And it builds people up. We're going to do what God wants us to do. We're going to do what God wants us to do. We're talking about leaving a legacy here. You don't leave a godly legacy. Don't miss this. You don't leave a godly legacy by thinking about doing something. Wasn't it, was it the path to destruction is paved with good intentions? Thought about it. Had the idea to do it. So basically you were just too lazy to do it, undisciplined enough to do it. Forget your ideas. Ideas are a dime a dozen, man. I got a thousand ideas a day. Boom, 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 boom. Sometimes you got to get out of the cloud and get in the dirt. Just yesterday I got three messages. For people. Hey man, got this idea, hit me up. I did not hit him up. I don't need their ideas. i got plenty of ideas. What they mean is I've got this idea. We want you to get in the dirt and do it. No, you get in the dirt and do it. I love the clouds. Clouds are awesome. I can do whatever I want to in the clouds. Christine's learned. I come to her with cloud ideas all the time. And she'll tell you now. She goes, ah, I don't really think much about his ideas. So he starts doing it. And then I know he's serious. Once you get in the dirt, you're serious. If we're going to leave a legacy, we're going to do what God wants us to do. I love what Paul says in Acts in Acts 20. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. He said, all I want to do is make Jesus know nothing else matters to me. He said, if God takes me home, God takes me home. But until God takes me home, I'm on this earth, and I'm going to live out that. I'm not going to leave anything undone. I'm not going to have that unfinished assignment, if you will. For some of you, man, you've had a dream for years and years and years and years and years. And And it won't go away, because it's probably a valid dream. But you've come up with every excuse on why you can't do it instead of stepping out and doing it. That's a legacy. I want my kids to know, this is why it's such an emphasis in my life, I want my kids to know, live the life you want to live. Just do it. Christine and I have been talking about this idea we have recently, and the people that have heard about it, you don't even know anything about that. Who cares? Why do I need to know about it? You think I'm so stupid I can't learn it? Amazing thing called YouTube. Anything you want to know is on YouTube. I'll learn. I'll figure it out. You say, you really believe that? Yeah. I installed YouTube the other day on the Roku where I can watch YouTube on our television. It's hell to Christine. I came home early last night. and said, I'm going to watch this show. I watched like two minutes and I said, oh, man, I'm wasting time. I need to get on YouTube. I'm on YouTube watching videos of what this idea that we have. Because I want my kids to know, man, step out and do it. My son Avery's at that stage in life where every two weeks he wants to do something with his life that's different. He wanted to be a band instructor and then he wanted to be a, a lawyer until he found out lawyers have to read a lot. Now he wants to be a chef. And someone asked me, they said, when do you, I was talking to someone, I said, when do you zero men on one thing? I said, I don't ever zero men on one thing whatever he wants to do. He can go to law school and be a lawyer for 10 years and walk away from it the next day and decide to become a chef. Who cares? Why have we bought into this lie? You've got to work your job for 50 years and get your gold watch. Someone told me the other day, they were like, you're 44, don't you think you need to figure it out? I'm 44. I hope at least I got 44 more years to live. So because I decided at 30, this is what I'm going to do with my life, I got to do it for the next 40 years at that. I'm just being honest with you today. Forget that mindset. Do you know they say the number one age group for entrepreneurs now is 65-year-olds? They're realizing, holy smoke, I'm going to go out and start something new. I still got 20 years to live. I thought I'd enjoy sitting on the beach all the time, but I'm bored now. I love Dana White. Dana White sold his company, UFC, for a hundred, was it a hundred billion? It was some, a billion. So a billion dollars. Bought it for three million, sold it for one billion. Left UFC for six months. They just hired him back at millions of dollars, gave him his same percentage back. And they said, why'd you come back? He said, I was bored. He said, gosh, you can only spend so much money. He said, you can only drink so much alcohol. He said, I wanted to come back and do it again. Man, we're going to do what God wants us to do. Some of you, man, God's been telling you that what you need to do is just go mend a relationship with somebody. And you're too prideful to do it. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Man, when God tells us to do something, we're going to do it. You do what God told you to do, even when people don't understand it. Eleven years ago, I was at a crossroads. I had lost my church here in this town. And everyone kept saying, man, God can use you, and God's going to use you again. You need to leave Canton. Go somewhere and start over. And I was like, I feel called to Canton. No, you got to go somewhere. I said, no. Mm -mm. I feel called to Canton. So for 18 months, I volunteered as a chaplain at the hospital for free. And I volunteered with the Canton Police Department for free as a chaplain and just did what everybody asked me and just served the community and started another church. Because I felt called to this community. I don't care if anybody likes it. I don't answer to them. I used to always say, I answer to one out of every." I answer to one person, God. It was arrogance. Now I'm like, I answer to one person. It's humbleness. Answer God. I'll stand before God one day on how I live my life. We need to understand those things. Last of all, and I'm going to hit home to some of you here. We're going to live the way God wants us to live. We're going to live the way that God wants us to live. We're going to say what needs to be said. We're going to do what needs to be done. And we're going to live in a way that God wants us to live. That's how you leave a godly legacy. The reality is, is most people aren't living the way God wants them to live. Even in the church. We've taken grace as a license to do whatever we want most people look at those who are Christ followers and see no difference in those that are Christ followers and those that aren't. Because we live like those who aren't Christ followers. My life, my rules. No, not when you're surrendered to God. Here's the difference. When you're surrendered to God, though, you want to live the way God wants you to live, not because the preacher guilts you, but because you want to. You want to conduct business in a different way. You want your marriage to be done in a different way. You want to handle your finances in a different way. You want to have dreams in a different way. You want to raise your children in a different way. You want to raise them in a way that puts Christ first. But sadly, we swing one way or the other. We swing away from the way Christ wants and the way religion says. So then we have all these man-made rules and man-made standards. Here's how the church ought to be, and here's how the church ought to act, and you ought to never do this and never do that, and blah, 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 blah. Or we swing the other way and we think, man, we can do whatever we want to, man. I can live like a hell yet because, man, I'm forgiven. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> or you can come right there to where God says to live. And you can live by conviction on some things. Very few of us have any convictions in life. We have preferences in life. Man, I'll make church a priority in my life. Unless it's the race I want to see or the football game I want to see. Or, man, it's deer hunting season. All of a sudden, it's not a conviction. It's a preference. Man, I'll serve. Man, as long as they don't fall on this day or that day. Or, or man, I, I, I'm not doing this or I got to do that. It, it's a preference and not a conviction. People always kill me when they start their company. I, man, once I get established, man, I, I'm closed on Sundays. It must be nice. Chick-fil-A can do that. But it might start in a restaurant. Once you get that big, you can do whatever you want to. I said, you know, the funny thing is they did that when they had one restaurant. It was a conviction to them. Now, I'm not saying y'all do not work on Sunday. That's not what I'm saying, so don't read into that. What I'm saying is we have convictions and we have preferences. And far too many of us live by our preferences. And when you live by preferences, they change due to the circumstances. A lot of you didn't understand I don't even know that Christine understood completely. She said, I've never seen this side of you when it came during all this and they were telling us what we could and couldn't do. I have a conviction about the gathering of the saints. I do, it's a conviction of mine. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, 25, we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I, 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 I conv- There's power in the church gathering. I was going to honor our our officials, and we didn't meet. But it was a conviction of mine that we should meet, not a preference. Now, each pastor can have their own convictions, but I don't understand churches that aren't meeting. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't get it. Well, they're too big, meet in the parking lot then. I don't get it, but teach their own. But here's the difference to me. It's not a preference, it's a conviction. I don't expect everybody to have that same conviction. That's why you choose whether or not to come but I decided I was going to be here if I was the only one here. It's a conviction of mine. Matter of fact, me and David had that conversation. If we're the only two here, I said, well, there'll be three here. Christina, come. He said, well, I don't know if it's here. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. Listen, we need to live by conviction. Man, I I want to tithe. Oh, man, the refrigerator broke. It's between you and God. I'm just saying the difference between conviction and a preference. I told Christine when we got together, you remember the first conversation we ever had? Me and Christine had been together about three days. I said, hey, I think you're going to hang around for a while. Here's all my bills and all my money. I really don't know how much is there or what bills need to be paid or anything. And this account hasn't been balanced in like four months. Literally, probably, I'm not trying to be funny, eight hours, eight hours, all night long. She stayed up trying to get it organized. I said, hey, I don't care what you do with it. You just need to know this. 10% goes to the church before the house gets paid, before the electric bill gets paid, before the car payment gets paid. She said, what if there's not enough? I said, there's always enough because it's the first 10%. You give the first, if the house don't get paid, it don't get paid. Got to take care of it. She looked at me like I was crying. I said, after that, I don't care what you do with the money. That has to happen. It's a conviction of mine. I don't push that conviction on you. I don't have to push it on you because I believe if you get in the Word of God and you live the way God wants you to live, you'll see that. I believe if you get in the Word of God, you'll see the importance of the gathering of the saints. The Bible says this in James: 122: "Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. No, the problem with the church is, we make up a lot of stuff. The church says you shouldn't drink. The Bible doesn't ever say you shouldn't drink. The Bible says you shouldn't get drunk. The church is so scared you'll get drunk, we just say don't drink. You do know what God says you do. you saying, Gary, you're saying you've never been drunk? I'm not saying that. I'm saying, but I try to live in a way that's uplifting to God. Someone say, how do you deal with that person? They've screwed you over. I try to do what God says. The Bible says, as much as it depends on me, live at peace with all people. As much as it depends on me. I've got to do what the word of God says to do. I've got to operate in the way the word of God says. Not the way religion says, not the way the Baptist church says, not the way the Methodist church says, not the way the whatever denomination, the way the Bible says. That's how you leave a legacy. I don't want my kids growing up religious. At all. I don't want them having a form of godliness. I want them having a relationship with God where it's true, it's flawed, and it's ugly. I did a funeral Friday, and I don't know where this word came from, and I, but it came out, and I said, this gentleman, I said, he's a beautifully flawed saint. And I loved that phrasing when it came out. I was like, that's good preaching. The white boy is doing it. I'm patenting that. <laughs> Beautifully flawed saint. You do what God says to do. We live in a way that's glorifying to him. The world, 1 John 2, 17, the world and its desires pass away. All those things you're chasing, they pass away. Do they really matter? The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We need to live by conviction instead of preferences. This is why people hate the church, because the church is full of fakes. Preach one thing and live another thing. I tell people all the time, you may. I had a guy yesterday on Facebook. I hope he's watching. I like the guy. He got a little mad because I didn't agree with him, and and everybody goes to their low-hanging fruit. Okay, preacher man. Yep. I always say, you might not like me on Sunday, but I'm the exact same person at Engel's on Monday, Longhorn's on Tuesday. Listen, I don't do fake. I want my kids to see, man, this is what it's like to live a life of God. We try to live by the values that are set forth. We try to live in a way that God wants us to live. You're going to say what needs to be said. You're going to do what needs to be done. And we need to live in a way that would have us to be lived. Are some of you living the way you need to live? That's between you and God. But I think you know the answer is no. Are you saying the things that need to be said? Are you doing the things that need to be done? No. So what kind of legacy are you leaving? I don't want to leave a legacy to my children of divorce. I've been divorced. I don't want to leave a legacy of my children of bad financial decisions. I've made bad financial decisions. I don't want to leave a legacy to my children of bad relationships. I've had bad relationships with people. Those are all part of my story, but I'm going to learn from my past. Remember we talked about that? And I'm going to my kids, say, I'm striving to live in a way that God says we ought to live. And that looks a whole lot different than the way the world says to live. We're about to make some drastic, we're in the position of trying to make some drastic change in the lamb home. Some of you aren't going to understand them. Guess what? You don't got to. because we want to live in a way that teaches our kids. And you know what's been amazing, both of us over time? We want this for our kids. We want this for our kids. We want this for our kids. And none of them are possessions, and none of them are toys, and none of them are things. They're convictions we want them to have. Because we don't want them to wait till they're 44 and 29. (laughs) Before they learn those things. Man, the dash is so vital. The dash. What are you doing with your dash? Now, let me just get real real with you for a minute. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him. Here's the water. You've been on a thing. Drink it or not drink it. I can't stick the horse's head down in there. Some of you need to wake the hell up. I know what you're going to, Christians are going to say, man, he cussed all day. That's how passionate I am about it. When I get passionate, I feel like I need to cuss. I don't know that I agree with that. That's okay. You don't got to agree with it. Some of you need to wake up. You're wasting your dash. And what's sad about it is you think the way you're doing it's cool, but you're miserable. You look yourself in the mirror and know you're a loser. You know you haven't manned up and made the most of your dash. You're wallowing in your pity like a loser. You're feeling sorry for yourself like a loser. The Bible says, Greater is He that is in us than He is in the world. We weren't made to be losers. We're made to be victors. We win this freaking thing. I was sitting on the river this week and I was like, man, we've had a lot of curveballs thrown at us in the last 10 weeks. Man, we've lost a lot of money in the last 10 weeks. Man, we ain't been paid in the last 10 weeks. And I got back thinking, you know what? Somehow, by the grace of God, all the bills have been paid. I ain't touched our savings yet. That makes no sense. I'm sitting on the lake, in a place someone, or the river, in a place someone blessed my family and I with. In some ways, made more money in the last little bit than we were making before. I don't know how. It's amazing what you can sell around your house. And God's provided. God's good. All the time, God's good. The dash. What are you going to do with it? Sadly, 90% of you are going to do nothing with it. You'll amen this sermon and you'll move on. That's okay. The Bible says every man must give an account for himself. I'm not responsible for you. But all oh, 10% of you. You're going to change your life during this series. 10% of you are going to be like, holy smokes, man, I'm changing everything. But Gary, you don't know the hole I'm in. Start digging out. Way to get out of a hole is take the first step in getting out. The dash. It's yours. See if I can remember the points. I don't ever remember the points. That means I really believe in the points. Let's see. We're going to live passionately. Oh, dang, there you go. We're going to love completely. We're going to learn from our past. We're going to leverage our influence. We're going to leave a godly legacy. Johnny Hunt would be proud of that. All of them start with the same letter. It's a Baptist thing. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you understand that. The points have to start with the same letter or they all have to rhyme. The five L's. Live passionately, love completely, learn from your past, leverage your influence, leave a God legacy. The dash is yours. Do with it as you have. But as for me and my house, we're done apologizing for living our dash. Let's pray.